Micah. I'll give you a minute to find it. Minor prophet. If you can't find it, just keep flipping and then stop somewhere. You talk about pressure when you're a Baptist preacher. You're sitting in a camp meeting. And some fella calls Habakkuk. And uh, you're flipping and you're flipping and you're flipping. And you see that two-thirds of the people done quit flipping. And you're sitting up there thinking, everybody's going to think I'm the dumbest preacher in this building. I can't even find Habakkuk. So you just end up in Ruth and make like you're reading along. (laughs) But Micah, it's a minor prophet. You'll find Matthew and flip back a few pages. You'll find Micah over there toward the end of the Old Testament, chapter 5. And I just want to read one verse of Scripture. And then we're going to go to Genesis. Everybody can find Genesis, right? That's an easy one to find, Genesis. Micah chapter number 5, in verse number 2, the Bible said, But thou, Bethlehem, Euphrates, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth. Good night. Unto me. That is to be the ruler of Israel, whose going forth have been of old from everlasting. What a prophecy. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask God that you'd touch and help, Lord, the service this morning. I pray that you'd receive the glory out of everything, God, that's said and done. I pray, Lord, that you'd touch hearts. Lord, if there'd be one here lost today, I pray that you'd show them their need of a Savior. Lord, that you'd save them by your marvelous grace. We thank you, Lord, for the good spirit of God that we've already felt here today. We're looking forward to what you're about to do. We'll thank you and praise you for all that's accomplished in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I want you to note uh, this prophecy of Micah. As we come up on Christmas, I've still got a few more great things I want to preach on, but probably hold those till January. As we come up on Christmas, I want to deal uh, with some uh, instances of men from Bethlehem. Uh, As we go through the next four or five weeks, we're going to think about Bethlehem. Now, of course, Bethlehem during Christmas time, it is on everybody's mind, or at least it should be. Uh, The world has tried to take Christ out of Christmas, but you and I know that the true meaning of Christmas is the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we laid into these weeks, I want us to think about Christmas a little while. I never have been really a uh, topic kind of preacher or a holiday preacher, Uh, but normally, you know, uh, maybe the Sunday before Christmas, I'll try and preach a Christmas message uh, uh, but to be honest with you, there's a man shared something online this week that really spurred a thought in my heart. And as the week has went on, God had really started giving me some thoughts along these lines. And so I just want to try and preach for a few weeks on some a man I met from Bethlehem. A, a man that I met from Bethlehem. I, now Micah, of course, a minor prophet, but there's really no such thing. They're called minor prophets because they're smaller books and they're not like 
Jeremiah and Isaiah and some of those major prophets. But Micah, he begins to prophesy about the coming of the Lord. Now, you talk about a major fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, uh, Bethlehem was a little nowhere town. Uh, It wasn't really held in any kind of esteem. But we'll find that several uh, Bible characters came from Bethlehem. Uh, And here he makes the prophecy about the Bible character, amen, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, Thou Bethlehem, Euphrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler of Israel, uh, whose going forth have been from old uh, and from everlasting. Uh, How many of you are glad uh, that a way was made in the manger all those years ago? He was born in Bethlehem, uh, just as the scripture said. Uh, I could walk you through the Bible and show you over 50 scriptures, more than that, uh, that were fulfilled uh, just in the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, according to the time, according to the place, and the manner, and all those things. Uh, can I say to you, that Bible is perfect, our Lord is perfect, amen. Every jot, every tittle, uh, could we just take time out this morning and say thank God for a perfect Bible that always is right, it's always fulfilled. And here we see that all those hundreds of years before the Lord was ever born in Bethlehem, Micah said that's exactly how it would be. Now here in a few weeks, of course, we'll have we'll have service on Christmas Eve, and Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday, and so we'll have service on Christmas Eve. Somebody say, well, why wouldn't you cancel service on Christmas Eve? A lot of people won't spend in time with their family uh, because Christmas ain't about family. Uh, I mean, I love spending time with my family at Christmas, but that's not what it's about. Uh, Christmas isn't about food. Uh, Christmas certainly isn't about Santa Claus. Uh, Christmas is about a Savior uh, that was born in a manger uh, according to the prophecy. Uh, just like the prophets foretold, uh, he was born in a manger and the reason was to redeem our undying soul uh, that we wouldn't have to die and go to hell. Uh, and one day I received that payment that was made and he made a change in my life. He took up a boat inside of me. Hey man, well there's a good preaching spirit in here this morning. I'm just glad to say I'm glad I met a man from Bethlehem. Now I want us to go into the book of Genesis chapter number 35. Now I'm going to read you verses number 16 down through about verse number 19 this morning. Genesis chapter number 35 and verse number 16. Note with me what the Bible said. The Bible said, and they journeyed from Bethel, and there was but a, uh, there was but a little way to come to e- Ephrath, and Rachel travailed, and she had hard labor. And it come to pass when she was in her hard labor uh, that the midwife said unto her, Fear not. Thou shalt have this son also. And it came to pass as her soul was in departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephrath, which is in Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar of stone on her grave. That is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. 
I want us to look this morning at what happens here in Genesis chapter number 35. And it's an interesting chapter. You should read it sometime. Jacob and his family have idols that they have collected and God moves on Jacob's heart to go back up to the house of God, Bethel, the place where God had met with him in the past. Jacob took away all of their idols and took them out and buried them under an oak tree because Jacob knew that he couldn't go to meet God with those idols in his life. And he gathered up Rachel and Leah and all their children. Rachel at this point is great with child. He goes up there to Bethel and meets with God and he has a meeting there and builds an altar to then they're sojourning as they were wont to do and they head down toward Bethlehem. Right on the outskirts of Bethlehem, Rachel travails in pain. She lays down and she births a baby. Of course, it's that child, Benjamin. And in the process, she dies having the baby. I see them now. She's laid there under an oak tree just off the side of the way. And boy, I tell you, you ladies ought to thank God for modern medicine. Amen. She's laid in a, uh, next to maybe an oak tree, next to an oak tree uh, there on the side of the road, uh, travailing with child. Uh, that child is brought forth. They lay it upon her bosom, uh, and she's dying. Uh, something is happening. Uh, uh, she's uh, hemorrhaging. Something has went wrong, uh, and she begins to die. She looks at that little baby boy as he cries out, uh, and she whispers and looks up at Jacob, uh, who she loves, and Jacob loves her, uh, and he says, she says Benoni. Now that word Benoni means son of my suffering. But as we'll see, we'll see that Jacob names him a different name. I want us to look for a little while this morning at this first man from Bethlehem. As a matter of fact, Genesis 35 is the first mention of Bethlehem anywhere in the Bible. And we'll find that the first man that we'll meet from Bethlehem is Benjamin. And did you know this? Benjamin is a picture of none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Brother Neil and I have talked about the book of Genesis and how that you can see Jesus on every single page. And Benjamin is a beautiful picture of Christ. Somebody said, how preacher? Let me give you just a few ways. Number one in his name. When Rachel looked at him, she said his name is Benoni. That is child of my suffering. Now the words, uh, he was supposed to go through life according to Rachel uh, as being known as suffering's child. Uh, and so then when uh, Jacob took him, he said, oh no. Uh, he said his name's Jacob. Uh, that, main, that name Jacob means son, or his name's uh, Benjamin. Uh, that name Benjamin means son of my right hand. Uh, Benjamin's, or Jacob said, no, Benoni, he's not Benoni, he's not suffering, he's Benjamin, he means power, he means strength, he means honor. Can I say to you, in the way they named that boy, we can see the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, Isaiah said that when he would be born, he would be a man of suffering, he would be a man of sorrow, he would know what it was to grieve. Did you know this morning, when 
when you have sorrows, our, suffer, our Savior knows uh, what you're going through. Uh, no man ever suffered like that man. Uh, he was a man of constant sorrow. Uh, he was a man that was acquainted with grief. Uh, he was a man that was in all points tempted as we are. Uh, and so in his name, she said, Benoni, that means suffering one. Uh, can I say we do have a suffering Savior? Uh, but Jacob said, we'll not call him Benoni. Uh, he said, we're going to call him Benjamin uh, because he is the son of my right hand. Uh, that denotes power. Uh, as a matter of fact, when Jacob's dying, uh, he looks at Benoni, he looks at Benjamin. I tell you, there's too many bees right here. Uh, he looks at Benjamin as he's dying in Genesis 49. Uh, and he says, Benjamin's going to be like a ravenous wolf. Uh, he's going he's to ravage the prey in the morning. Uh, hey, man, and eat the, eat the spoils in the afternoon. Uh, hey, he told him, he said, Benjamin, and did you know, uh, as you go along and you follow the tribe of Benjamin, uh, they were always known as men of war. Uh, they were always battling and conquering. Uh, they were always numbered again amongst the most valiant of soldiers. Uh, I'm just simply saying this. Uh, in Benjamin, we see the two sides of Christ. Uh, one side, he's a suffering Savior, uh, but on the other side, he's King of Kings uh, and Lord of Lords. Uh, on one side, he understands your troubles, uh, but on the other side, he's able to overcome your problems. Uh, on one side, listen, uh, on one side, he knows what it is to have heartache, uh, but on the other side, he brings joy. Uh, can I say to you that he is both a suffering Savior uh, and he's a conquering Lord, uh, and I'm glad one of these days uh, we're gonna see him return. Uh, hey, hey, uh, King of kings, Lord of lords, uh, he is, uh, as Jacob said, the son of my right hand. So he's like the Lord in his name. But then he's like the Lord in his character. Benjamin was a full brother of Joseph. And that's interesting. One of Joseph's few full brethren. He was not, in, he was not involved in the conspiracy to sell Joseph out to Egypt. Benjamin was not involved in that. And as a matter of fact, you'll find that when they get down to Egypt, that Joseph especially loved Benjamin. How many of you remember the story? There's a famine in the land. They send, uh, the, Jacob sends his boys down there to Egypt because he's heard uh, how they've got some fellow on the throne uh, and he's ruling and reigning and there's plenty of corn. Uh, that fellow was Joseph, but they had no idea. So they send, uh, he sends his boys down, uh, but he keeps Benjamin back. Uh, the boys come back with corn, and what do they say? Uh, they said the man that ruled that country uh, said there wasn't no need in us coming back unless we brought Benjamin with us. Uh, Hey, Jacob said, you ain't taking my little boy. Hey, he said, uh, he said, I've already lost Simeon. I've already lost Joseph. I'll lose, I'll lose Benjamin for sure. He said, you can't take him. No way. Well, they got real hungry. And Jacob said, go on down there and get some more food. And Judah said, we've got to take Benjamin. There's no way around it. That man said, we would not see his face unless Benjamin came. Here's what he said. I'm about to shout. He said, 
said we'll never see the throne unless we bring Benjamin with us. You see how that's a picture of Christ this morning? Hey, did you know you and I will never even see the kingdom of God unless we have Jesus with us? Amen. Hey, Jesus is the prerequisite to get into the throne room. Benjamin was the prerequisite. If they were going to get into the throne room, they were going to have to take Benjamin with them. He would provide access to the throne. Can I say to you this morning, at the day I got saved, I got Jesus on the inside of me. And one of these days when I breathe my last, I'm going to go out of this world, but I'll step into glory because I've got him and through him, I have access to the throne room. I say glory to God. We see that he's like him in his character. Then he's like him in his grace. I ain't even got to preach yet. I'm, I'm preaching a minute. It's just like him in his grace. In Genesis chapter number 43, when Jacob sends them boys back with food, the Bible said there in verse 34, and he took and sent messes unto them and before him, but Benjamin's mess was five times so much as any of the others. Oh my, when Joseph sent corn back, messes of corn, he sent Benjamin back five times more uh, than all his brethren. Uh, number five is the number of grace. Uh, can I say that the Lord Jesus is the God of grace? Uh, he's the one that gave you saving grace. Uh, he's the one that gives you living grace. Uh, he's the one that's going to someday give you dying grace. Uh, I say thank God. I'm glad uh, that Benjamin is... So you see all the ways that Benjamin is a picture of Christ. Now watch this. I'm going to give you a little short thought right here and I'm going to be done. You'll find a story. You'll find a story in Genesis chapter number 44. And what happens, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, it's the first 12 verses of Genesis 44. But what happens is when Benjamin and them boys come back, they load up their sacks to put on the, to put on the camels to take back to the house. And Joseph takes a cup and drops it in Benjamin's sack. And unbeknownst to Benjamin, he becomes a cupbearer. And so they let him ride out of sight. And then Joseph dispatches his men to run them down. And surely enough, when they, they say, someone has stolen the king's cup, they say, oh no, not any of us. They pour their sacks out. And sure enough, in Benjamin's sack is a cup. <laughs> And it's a picture of Christ. Because Christ was also a cupbearer. You'll be reminded how there in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, Father, I would that this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I preached on it a few months ago, but I'll mention it in passing because I think it's important to mention it. Some people would say that in that cup that Jesus was dreading was a premature death. But I don't believe that. Jesus was born to die. Some would say that in that cup he could see the agony of the cross, but I don't believe that because he marched up Calvary's hill willingly. Some have said in the cup is our sin. I wouldn't argue with it. I don't think it's exactly right. But... I believe there's a, a verse there in Hebrews chapter number five that talks about Jesus praying in the garden and his prayer being answered. 
And uh, I don't, if it was our sin, there's no way God was able to answer that, that prayer because he did bear our sin. Uh, but like I pointed out to you a few months ago, uh, I believe what was in that cup was an eternal separation from the Father. Uh, and Jesus looked in that cup. Uh, and you see, that's the result of sin is being eternally separated from the Father. Uh, and when he looked in that cup, uh, he saw that eternal separation uh, that, our, hey, that our sins would bring him. Uh, and he couldn't bear the thought of it. Uh, and he said, oh God, I would that this cup would pass from me. But you know what? God answered his prayer because on the third and appointed morning he rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. But here's the point. Jesus was willing to bear that cup. In other words, if it had took Brother Bobby, if it had took eternal separation from the Father to save me and you, he was willing to do it. He said, if I have to spend an eternity in hell so Neil McCurry don't have to go, he said, I'll go there. I'll do it now. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. We see Jesus bearing the cup of shame. We see Jesus bearing the cup of separation. Just like Benjamin had a cup, Jesus also bore a cup. Let me give you three things about this right here. And if I get undignified, y'all just have to hang with me, all right? Three things about it right here. Number one, we note that this cup was given to Benjamin. It was assigned to him by the sovereign. Who was it decided to put the cup in Benjamin's sack? It was the man on the throne. You know, the Bible talks about a determinate council. I don't understand how all that works. Now, I'm telling you, somewhere in heaven, listen to me now, somewhere in heaven one day, Dimsdale, there was a meeting between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. The Bible called it the determinate council. They looked over mankind, and they saw that the man that they had made had fell into sin and a depravity, and there was nothing that could be done save innocent, perfect, sinless human blood being shed. But the problem was, Brother Neil, that throughout the ages, man after man after man had fallen into sin. The Bible said all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. During that determinate council in heaven, the decision was made that God would send his son. I don't understand all that. I, I tell you, that's beyond, that's way, way yonder above my pay grade. All I know is they got together and they decided uh, that the Son uh, would come to earth. Uh, and so in, the, in, that, in that manger, uh, on that first Christmas morning, uh, when that baby was brought forth, uh, no wonder the angels told the shepherds, uh, it, no, no wonder they said, Behold, I bring you good news. Uh, hey, uh, you know what? The, uh, the sovereign had assigned the cup to the Son. Uh, and when he was there at Gethsemane, uh, he looked into that cup and he knew he'd have to bear it for me and he knew he'd have to bear it for you but you see there was no other way and so he said I'll do it he said I'll take it that cup was assigned to him and he said I'll do it can I say to you this morning if you're in here today and you're saved by the grace of God you ought to say glory hallelujah I'm glad that he took my place the Bible said in Isaiah 53 6 all we like sheep are gone astray. 
We have turned everyone into his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Can I say this morning today for every man, woman, boy and girl that Jesus became your sin. The Bible said in 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Every single sin. You think about all the nastiness that you've committed in your life. Sitting in this building this morning are adulterers and murderers and liars. You say, preacher, surely not. Listen, the Bible said if you've transgressed in one point... You've transgressed every portion of the law. I'm looking at a bunch of hell-deserving sinners. And you know what's preaching to you tonight? This morning, what's preaching to you is a hell-deserving sinner. I ought to be in hell. All my filthy, rotten sin. I'm telling you, I deserve every every ounce of punishment that God could mete out. But you see, what God did was He took that sin and He placed it on His Son. And His Son became my old filthy, sin and he bore it at Calvary that was part of the cup that he took I'm glad that he bore my cup yonder at Calvary but watch this Jesus not only became your sin but Jesus bore your shame the Bible said looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame I'm going to ask you a question this morning ask you a question if I said to you today if I said we've been following you with a video camera for the last 20 years of your life and here in a minute we're going to play a highlight reel of your biggest sins and I ask for people to bow their head and close their eyes for a moment of prayer and before the video got to play it I'd look up there wouldn't be a single of you one of you sitting here everybody be gone Well, no, I wouldn't look up. I'd be gone with you. There wouldn't be nobody in this room. Let's just be honest. You think about, oh boy, the sins I've committed played up in front of everybody. Oh boy, I'd be ashamed. But can you imagine? I want you to think right now, I'm not trying to bring sin back to your mind. And I want you to think about those things that you're embarrassed of and ashamed of. Can you imagine if they was brought to light? How shameful it'd be. How you'd hang your head. How you wouldn't feel like going on those thoughts and intents of your heart. I tell you a great thing about Calvary. Once you get saved, you may hold that against yourself, but God never holds it against you. Amen. Amen. One of the greatest things about being saved is the removal of shame. I'm telling you, there's a lot of people ashamed of who they are and ashamed of what they've done and ashamed of where they've been. They've lived a shameful life. But look to the left and look to the right of you this morning. uh, Sitting on the church pew with you, I got a news flash. uh, Is another person that's lived a shameful life. Uh, They've lived in a shameful way. Uh, Every last one of us have. Uh, But I'm glad that Calvary, at Calvary, he bore our shame. Uh, He took the shame, despising the cross. Uh, You and I know longer have to be ashamed of those things Jesus took that shame yonder at Calvary became our sins he bore our shame but then also he paid our penalty the Bible said in Hebrews 2 9 but we see Jesus who's made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor 
that by the grace of God, he should taste death for every man. We know the wages of sin is death. And at Calvary, Jesus tasted death for how many men? For every man. And so we see that the sovereign, the sovereign appointed him this cup. The cup was appointed him by the sovereign. Secondly, I told you three things. Number two, the cup was accepted by him. Now I'll show you something interesting. You can go through Genesis chapter number 44. They open that bag. That Benjamin opens up his bag. That cup falls out. You read it for yourself. What would you have said if you'd opened up a bag and a cup fell out that you didn't know you had? I'll tell you what you said. I've heard it on the side of the road a thousand times. That ain't my cup. <laughs> it ain't my pants. These ain't my pants. I don't know. I borrowed these pants. These ain't my pants. That's exactly what you said. You said, it ain't my cup. I don't know where that cup come from. Not my cup. Somebody planted that. But I tell you what, you read through Genesis 44, that, them 12 verses, you'll never find where Benjamin ever said that wasn't his cup. Now why in the world wouldn't Benjamin have went all the way back to Egypt kicking and screaming, saying, that ain't my cup, that ain't my cup. You know why? Because the picture of Christ. When the sovereign assigned the cup, Jesus accepted the cup. Son, I'm telling you, there's nothing in this right here. Man, preach plumb sideways. When the sovereign assigned the cup, Jesus accepted the cup. Yonder in Gethsemane, he said, I would that this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. When them soldiers came and he spoke, they fell over his dead men. Peter took a sword out and cut off the servant of the high priest's ear. Jesus said, no, no, no. Picked that ear up and healed that ear back on that man. And he willingly went. He submitted himself to authorities that had no authority over him. He, hey, the maker of the world, allowed his workmanship to beat him. He hung on the cross and cried, I thirst. The very maker of water cried, I thirst. You know why? Because for you and I, a bunch of old hell-deserving sinners, Christ willingly died and suffered that you and I wouldn't have to go to hell, but that we might be saved. He willingly suffered. He accepted the cup. He accepted it. I'll tell you something. I remember many years ago, I sat up there in front of the, sat up there in the old church in front of the organ one Saturday afternoon. The men that were the deacons here at that time, they sat on each side of me and they said, we'd like for you to be the pastor. I said, well, let me, let me pray about it. We had a trip. We was going to Canada, somewhere up over the United States, 30,000 feet. I felt like the Lord had had for me to take the church. And so I got back, I called them, and I said, I, I'll give it a try. We'll give it a whirl. See what happens. And that you know, all I could see was all the good things. And the church's pews being full. All the good stuff. I said, boy, I'll take it. I'll take it. Had I known that along the way there was going to be heartaches and problems and troubles, I don't know, I might have weighed one against the other and said, man, these churches that I could take would be better than this and went somewhere else, I don't know. But you know, Jesus knew the whole story. He knew how sorry you was and how sorry I am. 
He knew the failure I was going to be and the failure you was going to be. He knew the times that we were going to please Him and make Him proud, but He also knew the times that we were going to let Him down. He knew the dark of the nights. He knew the things that we were going to commit that were going to bring shame into our lives and shame into our families. Uh, And yet anyway, and in spite of all of that, uh, He marched up Calvary's hill uh, and He took not only our sins, but He took the sins of the entire world. Uh, He took Hitler's sins. Uh, He took Mussolini's sins. Uh, He took the whole world's sins. And he made it his own and he paid the price that nobody would have to die and go, I tell you what, hey, I don't make a wooden Indian shout. Hey, I'm glad to know that Jesus paid the price, even though he knew what he's gonna get. He knew what he's getting, Billy. But he did it anyway. Let me show you this last one. He willingly accepted the cup. And I'm gonna show you this right here. And if if this don't bless you, bless us broke. The cup was accepted by him, but watch this. The cup was abolished by him. Let me show you something interesting. In Genesis chapter number 44 and verse number 12, they open up that bag and that cup rolls out. And I'm going to show you something real interesting. That cup is never heard from again. That's interesting, isn't it? You'd have thought, Brother Marvin, when they got back to Egypt, Joseph would have said, what about my cup? But you can look all through that Bible. And what you'll find is after it's seen there in Genesis 44, that cup's never heard from again. Nobody ever says anything else about that cup. That cup is gone. Hey, that cup is gone. That cup got done away with. Something happened to it. It couldn't be found. It was gone. Hey, did you hear what I said? The cup was gone. Never to be heard from again. Now, I'm going to get Rachel to put a verse of scripture up right here. And I want to show you something out of the book of Colossians, chapter number 2. Colossians, chapter number 2, and verse number 13. I'm going to show you this, and I'm going to be done. There's some of the greatest verses in your Bible. If you never underline Colossians 2, 13, 14, 15, boy, you ought to. Look here. Look at verse 13. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him. Number one, first thing that happened the day you got saved he took something dead and he made it alive. I said took something dead and he made it alive. This world's full of deadness. Full of deadness. You walk around, I tell you, we went out Black Friday shopping and everywhere we went, just blank faces, dead people, no joy, no spring in their step. Are you hearing me now? I mean, this world is full of deadness. Uh, But the day I got born again, uh, he put a life on the inside of me that can't be extinguished. Hey, man, uh, he took something dead and wretched and he made it alive. Watch this. Uh, You being dead in your sins uh, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, uh, hath he quickened together with him, uh, having, watch this, uh, forgiven all your trespasses. Uh, You know what he did today? He made you alive. Uh, He looked at all your sins. Uh, How many of them? All. How many? All. How many? All. All. How many? All. Having forgiven all trespasses. All. You say, what about all of them? All of them. 
Let me tell you something the Armenian brethren struggle to understand. When I got saved, I got saved for the sins that I committed yesterday. I got saved for the sins that I commit today. And I got saved for the sins that I'm going to commit in the future. Otherwise, it is not all. Are you with me? If the Lord only saved me from my past sins, that's the argument of the Armenian. Our Armenian brethren will say, well, when you got saved, that's just your past sins. You've got to live it. You've got to keep it. But if it's just my past sins, then that should say some. Am I not right? Having forgiven you some trespasses. But that's all I said. Or even if it had just said forgiven your trespasses, then you might make the argument that that was just the past. But that's not what I said. It said having forgiven you all trespasses. Uh, having forgiven you all trespasses. Uh, I said all trespasses. Hallelujah. The day I got saved, I got, I got washed from all them sins in my past. I got washed from all them sins I was in right then. But I've lived a long time since I got saved. And there's never been a sin that's been held against me in God's account. Because I got washed from all my future sins too. The day I trusted Christ, I got cleansed from all my trespasses. Whoop. Watch this right here. Look at verse 14. We ain't done. Watch this. Blotting out (laughs) the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Now here's again the Armenian brethren would say, yeah, but look at all these, look at all this stuff. Look at all this stuff. You got all these thou shalt and thou shalt not here and and you're trespassing them and that's true, right? Anybody in there, hey, anybody in here not sinned this week? Don't raise your hand. That's a lie. It's a lie. That's a sin right there. Let me tell you, you look, on a, you look at a sermon on the mount, me and Brother Allen was talking about this morning. There's more commandments than just them 10, right? And then the Lord on the Sermon on the Mount, he said things like this. He said, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery with her already. So he upped the bar. In other words, he said, everybody is in a mess. Everybody has come short. If you've sinned in one, you've sinned in them all. And hey, there's a lot of people that want to say, yeah, looky here, you're a sinner. You've done this, you've done that. Hey, you've had bad thoughts. You've said bad things. You've listened to wrong music. Whatever it is, handwriting, 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 handwriting. Well, look what, that doesn't give us an Let me pause this a minute. That doesn't give us an excuse to sin. We ought to want to live up to all those thou shalt and thou shalt not. We ought to want to because we're saved and he saved us and that ought to make us want to please him. But when we come short, look what Colossians 2.14 says. It said blotting out the ordinances, the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. He took it out of the way and he nailed it to the cross. You see, Paul would go on and teach that all things are lawful unto me, but not all things are expedient. All right, let me paint that picture for you. I could... Son, there's some people going to get ready to tear me up on, on social media right here for this statement right here, but I'm just going to make it. I could go out tonight and drink a fifth of liquor, wake up in the morning with a hangover, and still be just as saved tomorrow morning as I am right here standing in this church this morning. I could. I could. That's a possibility. 
Because Paul said, Paul said, all things are legal. But he said, not all things are expedient. In other words, he said, you do some of this stuff, you're going to wreck your testimony. You're going to wreck your life. You're going to destroy who you are. Hey, Amen. You're going to hurt people, other people. You're going to keep other people. He said so that, hey, you can't use that as a license to sin. As a matter of fact, Paul went on. He said, God forbid. A man that gets saved ought to want to serve the master. A man that gets saved ought to want to live right. A man that gets saved ought to want to do everything he can possibly do. Ought to stay as close as he possibly can. Why? Not because we're afraid, but because we love him. And because he saved us. And because he paid for our sins and because he washed us clean but when we do fail and you all do fail the handwriting of ordinances that were against us he blotted them out he took them out of the way what did he do with them? nailed them to his cross let me show you one more verse I got to get done one more verse watch this Verse 15. Israel, you've missed some great preaching. Watch what he said. He said, in having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So one thing he did is he took something dead, he made it alive. The day you got saved, he breathed real life into you. Some of you sitting here on these church pews and you're still dead in trespasses and sin. Can I just tell you, there ain't nothing like being saved. Amen. Get up out your pew. Get saved. It'll be the greatest thing to ever happen to you in your entire life. All of a sudden, life comes into you. And then the second thing that he did, the second thing that he did was he became our sins. He took that shame away. <laughs> Hallelujah. Then he took that handwriting of ordinances that were against us. He took those out of the way. And he said, don't remember them anymore. But he wasn't done doing what he done. Having spoiled principalities and powers. What's he talking about? He's talking about this world we live in. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something that the church world in 2023 does not understand. I'm going to give you this. I'm closing. And that is that you and I that are saved by the grace of God are more than conquerors. They don't get it. The most of the church world lives like the devil's won, the game's over, we're playing catch up, it's fourth quarter and we're way down, we're chunking Hail Marys just trying to catch up with the devil. But I'm here to tell you that ain't the way it is. Uh, the way it really is is you and I that are saved, uh, our child, our children, the King of Kings uh, and Lord of Lords, uh, and he's already conquered the world. Uh, he's already made a fool out of all the principalities and the powers of the air. Uh, and that makes you and I heirs and joint heirs conquerors over this world. So the last thing he did, brother, Alan, was he made us champions. Champs. I said, we champs. Amen. Oh, yes. Listen, friend. You let him blow your birthright. We're champions. We're champions. 
You say, yeah, but this world's rising up on every side against us. And I know that, but the Bible said where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And the higher sin gets, the higher grace goes. And the church of the living God can't be defeated. And we're more than conquerors through Him that loved us. That's what He did when He bore our cup. That's what He did when He bore our cup. Is He made us more than conquerors. So they never heard from that cup again. Fix to give an altar call. You hear this morning. There's two kinds of people in this building. Only two. Them that are saved by the grace of God and those that are not. If you're here today and you're saved, then everybody in here ought to be like, thank God, I'm glad he took that shame and he took that guilt. And he took him handwriting ordinances is against me. And he made me more than a conqueror. Amen. But I'll ask you something. Are you really living up to that kind of birthright? I've been reading, I won't get into this, but I've been reading a book this week called Yes, It Matters. And it deals with a Christian appearance. That's a touchy subject. People don't want to like to be told how to dress. Now, you know, the, the modern idea in today's church world is it don't matter, right? It don't matter. It don't matter. But let me tell you something. If you walked into the doctor's office tomorrow and he walked in in a fireman's uniform, you'd say, uh, huh? Send me a doctor, honey. I don't know what you are, right? Tell me it don't matter. It matters. It matters. And in this book, it talks about getting your heart right and allowing what's in your heart to shine through your person so that when people see you, they go, that's a Christian. We judge a lot of things by people. I ain't got time to get into all that. What I'm asking you is if you're here today and you're saved, are you really living in that birthright, that more than a conqueror? Are you walking around most of the time moping and doping? If you're here today and you're lost, how many of y'all saved folk would just do me a favor and holler amen if you're glad you're saved? Surely that many people wouldn't lie to you. Surely that many people wouldn't lie to you. Greatest thing that ever happened to you. It's the greatest thing that ever happened to you. You might have one of those two needs. You're saved, but you're like preacher, oh boy, I could live more like a conqueror than I'm living. You may be here and you're lost. There's answers at the altar either way. Justice is coming. We're going to stand our feet. Father, thank you, Lord, for your helping us to preach this morning. Great liberty that we had. Thank you, Lord, for being our cupbearer. Thank you, Lord, for paying our price, making us more than a, more than a conqueror, nailing the handwritings, the ordinances that were against us to your cross. I just pray, Lord, that you'd do a work during this type of invitation as only you can. We'll thank you and praise you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I'd ask you just a couple of questions. I'll ask you just a couple of questions, and I'm going to ask you to come. If you're here this morning, every head bowed and every eye closed, you're here this morning, and you say, Preacher, I'm 100%, 100% positive that I'm saved. I know I am. Would you raise your hand? Just put your hand up. I'm 100% positive. I know I am. I know I am. I know I am. I know I am. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
Some of you couldn't raise your hand. I want to ask you something. Wouldn't you like to know for 100% positive today? It's the greatest thing that ever happened to you. It's the greatest thing that ever happened. I want to say be one. I just say, preacher, I don't want to leave this morning wondering about my soul's condition. He paid for my sin, daddy. Took my cup. I'd like to be saved today. Would there be one to slip out from your pew right now? Grab somebody and bring them with you. Make your way toward the front. And have the greatest day of your life. It'd be the day that you got saved. I'd ask you another question. How many of you in this building, I'll ask you to be real honest. I should be real honest. You can say to, honestly, this week, preacher, I feel like, I feel like I have lived 100% up to my birthright. I feel like there's been glory in my soul every day. I've been walking with the Lord. And I feel like, I feel like that I'm living like more than a conqueror. But you think about it, and if you, if that's you, raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. If that's you, see how preacher I feel like. I feel like I am. I don't see a single hand. I don't see a single hand. I'll be honest with you, church. I couldn't raise mine. I can think of ways in my life right now that I could live up better to my birthright. I'm going to ask you to come. So, preacher, I. I want to come bow on that altar and ask the Lord to help me. He's made me more than a conqueror. I want to live up to it. I want to please Him. I want to serve Him. I want others to know when they see me that I'm more than a conqueror. I'm a child of the King. I'm a Christian. Oh, Lord, help us now.